dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena, ASMR edition. My name is Arjuna. I'm one of your hosts. The other host, Covert Go Blue, is also going to do his best to ASMR and get your skull tingling. Aren't you, Covert Go Blue? This is not Covert Go Blue. I am Ashiok Dream Render. <laughs> <laughs> Ashiok really is the ASMR planeswalker, if ever there was one. Wait, who's this? Is that who? Who this? <laughs> this is the this is the unedited, unmodified Arjuna. Hello, and excited to bring you another episode of the show today. And yeah, this week we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff in standard. Not much Ashiok going around, I will say, but there are a lot of exciting things. Man, there is there is so much going on right now, CGB. There really is. Really is. Yeah. Yeah. We. I mean, we were having this discussion before the show where we identified literally like four shows worth of content that we could talk about. So we're going to try to keep things on track. But, you know, just want to acknowledge there have been some interesting revelations on the Twitterverse, which we're going to get to next week. Um, we're we're going to focus most of today on Standard, of course. Standard's really popping right now. And I just wanted to quickly, before we get into our discussion about that, Kovac Blue, uh, I wanted to congratulate you on being an official commentator for F2K, uh, which I, I, by the time you listen to this, that whole thing will have already wrapped up. But CGB, just tell us a little bit about that, because it's pretty cool. Yours truly has been given the job, the responsibility of talking about games of competitive magic on Sunday, Valentine's Day, for the F2K Invitational, which is F2K Fade to Karma esports organization, promotes a lot of big-name MTG streamers like Crokeys, uh, Jeff Hoogland, MTG Nerd Girl, Ash Lizzle, like a lot of the big ones. Most of the ones in the top 20, I think, are affiliated or have been at some point. And uh, I get to commentate on their tournament, their Invitational tournament that includes... MPL members, members of their streaming roster, uh, just a lot of really great players. So I'm excited to talk about that. I'll be hosting it on my channel, and I'm sure you can find the broadcast on the Fade to Karma F2K Twitch channel, which should be a very Googleable thing if you need to find it. That's really cool, man. This is like your biggest commentating gig to date. So I'm just excited to see you in that role. Of course, I know you'll perform admirably. So yeah, I, I hope any of you listening to this were able to tune into that. I'm certainly going to be eyes glued to the screen for more than one reason. I, I, I prefer your ears. Although I will, I will say I picked up my outfit for the event. Ah. I believe I'm probably going to end up spending more on clothes than they're going to pay me. Just the way it is. But the show is the show and your eyes will not be disappointed either. All right. Well, that's a, that's a tasty invitation, if ever I've heard one. Just second little news flash. Wanted to appreciate all of our salty sea dogs who've been following the Salt Flats MTG on Twitter. It's definitely had a fun week. And Covert Go Blue, as a result of that account, I was actually notified. Were you aware that Ruin Crab, the one, the only Ruin Crab, actually has an account on Twitter? Wow. I set forth <laughs> immediately 
to create as much beef as I could <laughs> between the salt flats <laughs> and the ruined crab. Can we get a Tybalt account on Twitter now? <laughs> oh, if it's not already been created, that is a waiting opportunity, listeners. Go forth. So, yeah, so if you want to see the ongoing saga, the ongoing rivalry between these two denizens of the salty world, you can find that on that channel. But seriously, if you are just wanting to get ragey about the game and who doesn't from time to time, then go follow the Salt Flats MTG on Twitter and you can get more salt for your daily meals. All right, the next thing that I want to cover, Kovac Go Blue, the next thing I want to do here is a little bit of gloating. Ooh. Why play MTG if you can't... I mean, okay, basically, the two reasons people play MTG are either to complain or to gloat. Yes. Those are like the only two <laughs> emotional states you can be in. We are, we are here for that. We understand. <laughs> so this week, I want to do a little bit of gloating because yours truly, the Arjuna Man, the one and the only founder of the Arena Craft podcast, correctly deduced that the top deck in the format in the early weeks would be Sultai Ultimatum. This is a deck which I spent more time on this deck with my stream than any other deck that we played in the early access event. And I was really excited. There were two cards I was really excited about. One was Binding the Old Gods. The other was Valky. And I wanted to, like I said before, I wanted to exploit those two cards in a deck, along with a couple of other cards that we had discussed that might be good in such a shell, like Burning Rune Demon, for example, Alrun's Epiphany, stuff like that. So anyway, it's not the hardest deck to conceive of, and I'm not the only person who <laughs> was having ideas around that. But I would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity to gloat. And I, I actually think when I go back and I look at my original deck list, apart from the four Cosimas that I was testing out that I thought might be good in the list, pretty much every other card in the list, except for the, the Goose uh, list ended up not running the Goose. So those are the two cards which were just kind of way off base. But the rest of the list I actually think was was pretty good. It's a pretty good first draft of what ended up being the Saltimatum deck in standard. So I wanted to devote some time today to just talking about the archetype, talking about our thoughts on the archetype. Definitely want to share just some of my thought process brewing the deck and what other people have been bringing to the deck, much better players than myself, obviously, um, so we can just get a sense of where the archetype is headed. But I think it's a cool opportunity for us to just dive in. And you know what? I also just wanted to highlight it because... These folks on the Arena Craft podcast, we know what we're talking about from time to time. Last season, Kovac Goblu knocked it out of the park with his four color Omnath prediction. Let's let's give CGB a moment to, to gloat about that. I, I I I just can't take all the credit when it was that easy. <laughs> it was all lined up. H having said that, man, a lot of people did not put Omnath on the radar quite like you did. So you know, what once you once you think Omnath is a player, the deck basically builds itself. But making that important leap of actually thinking that that's going to be the card this uh, format revolves around is is a big deal. You know what? You know what? I mean, I, I I encouraged you to take your victory lap on this show. I'm going to take that quick victory lap because I was listening to a podcast the other day, and I won't say who, but these are two extremely talented, long time competitive players with better competitive resumes than I, and they were revisiting their top eight list. From Zendikar Rising, they did not have Omnath on it. And they were both like, what were we even thinking? 
So yeah, I'll I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's let's tango with that. But yeah, you know, from time to time, we we pick good decks here on this podcast to talk about. And this week, you should definitely be learning about this Sultai deck. So the first thing I wanted to say is that technically there is no one Sultai deck. This is, it's it's kind of a constellation of different archetypes. And like we were talking about last week, there are different builds of it ranging from controlling to WTF did I just look at? Uh, and, <laughs> and basically everything in between. When I first built my list, it wasn't so much an ultimatum list. I conceived of it as basically a Sultai control deck, which ran a couple of copies of the ultimatum as an additional top end, like as an additional win con, basically. But my deck was designed to work with or without the ultimatum. As a result of that, I didn't run quite as much ramp as some of the lists run, and I didn't run quite as many threats. I, I built a list, which I've still been running recently, with four shock typhoons, for example. So my list was designed to be a little bit more controly, a little bit more mid-rangey, and not just such an all-in ramp version. After playing that list for a couple of weeks, it has become clear to me that my version of it is not the most powerful thing that you can be doing. And why do you? Uh, can I? Can I just dig in? Like, um, so yeah, yeah what? Oh, get get into it. So your version, the more controlly version. What is what's missing there, or what are the weaknesses uh, compared to the ramp version? Yeah, so one of the issues I've run into is just that the deck feels a little bit unfocused. It feels a little bit like a jack of many trades and master of none kind of a deck. So it's a deck which can just ramp into an ultimatum. It's a deck that can have a plausible game against other decks such as the Is It Tempo deck, for example. That was one of the decks that I built my deck thinking about. Um, so I didn't want to just be stone cold to that deck. I didn't, I didn't want for just like two two random counter spells to just invalidate my whole plan, which is one of the issues you can run into when you go hard on the ramp package. But I think, unfortunately, if there's one thing that Magic as of late has taught us, it's that wishy-washy deck lists don't tend to get very far. Magic lately has been designed to be like, identify what your plan is and go hard. Like, go hard, 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 hard. And so that has ended up with decks... You know, like, uh, I think like Gruel is a perfect example where you're running like literally like six top end cards. We've gone from lists that were just like just Ember Cleave lists or just this list or just that list to like these decks that are just, it's like they're pointing all the cannons at you. And I think that that's what you have to do with this Sultai list is I think you have to really lean in to whichever version you're doing and and really work it okay so let's talk about like a ramp version of the archetype because i think that this is a place where a lot of people will want to start i'm gonna consult some deck lists from this 5k kaldheim championship that we were talking about last week it's it's one of the best sources of information and i want to look at kensuke kato's list because i think that this is like a fairly good version of the list to be thinking about. A lot of people on the ladder have been playing this. <laughs> Fairly good, as in won the whole thing. Uh, one thing that I have come around on, which uh, honestly it was more of a leak than anything else, but I have come around to thinking that the Yorian builds of this deck are the best builds. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that's, CGB, that's my gloating face. CGB and members of my chat 
can all gloat about that. I've uh, Multiple people in my chats have been like, are you sure the Yorian version isn't better? And my honest answer is just that I was tired of playing Yorian. I literally spent like the last two months playing Yorian in Historic and I just, I was just a little bit sick of this guy, Noodle. I don't understand. <laughs> but I, I think that the, the consensus seems to be that Sky Noodle builds are best for a couple of reasons. One of them, honestly, is just that your your ratio of cards you don't want to draw to cards that you do want to draw is better. 80 cards is potentially just right. Even, like, like more cards. Like, this might just be correct to play a bigger deck. Like, if there was no Yorian... You yeah. could see 68 cards or 70 cards might actually just be correct because you don't. there are cards you don't want to draw and there are a lot of tools you want to fit. So this minimizes the chances that you're going to draw cards like Vorinclex Monstrous Raider, which is a fine hit off your ultimatum. And you re- like your ramp deck is not trying to ramp into just casting a Vorinclex on turn six or whatever. So it, so it maximizes your chances. It basically makes your ultimatums better and it also just minimizes the chance that you're going to draw into like a seven drop that isn't your ultimatum. How about you, CGB? Why don't, why don't you read off this list for us here? Oh yeah. Let me start with the, the, the most important thing, the companion, Yorian, the <laughs> Sky Nomad, which is honestly not the most important thing, but it does have synergy and it definitely comes up. All right, after that, we've got creatures. There's two Tangled Florahedron. There are two Valky, God of Lies. There is a Vorinclex, the monstrous raider. In the sorcery spot, two Allruns Epiphany. That is the birds plus time walk sorcery from Kaldheim. One Balaged Recovery. That is the regrowth DFC land. Uh, four Cultivate. Four Emergent Ultimatum. Two Extinction Event. Two Seagate Restoration. That is the draw a whole bunch of cards mythic DFC land. And there are three Shadows Verdict. After that, we've got Instance. There are three Eliminates, four Heartless Acts, and two Juwari Disruption, the four Spike uh, DFC land. Then in the Artifact slot, we have two Asika's Chariots, which I'm I'm going to want to hear more about, but just, you know, I'll, I'll finish the deck. But I'm going to want to hear more about Asika's Chariot in this deck. That is the new card from Kaldheim, the... Four mana, four, four vehicle that makes two cats. And whenever you attack with it after a crew four, you get to copy another token on the battlefield. There are also two Maze Mind Tome, which I love. In the enchantment spot, four Binding the Old Gods, the ultimate Yorian combo card, if ever there has been one. Three Elspeth's Nightmare, a card that I truly love that just kind of is a catch-all against all the other nonsense opponents do. One Kiora Best the Sea God. The big mythic, the the Kraken, release the Kraken. Four Omens of the Sea, two Shark Typhoons. Then there are 30 lands. And I want to talk about the land, not like... There are four of each pathway, so 12 pathway. There's three Fabled Passages. There are 10 basics. There's one Ketria Triumph, because you can fetch it with Binding the Old Gods to get your red source for casting Valky. And there are four Zagoth Triumphs, the Saltai Triumph. The other thing about running an 80-card deck is you actually get to play a really sick mana base that's actually very hard to tune in a 60. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, my 60-card deck was running three of each pathway. And that is one of the things you run into is that you do need to run enough basics so that your cultivates and your bindings 
etc. have the, the necessary hits. So you're totally right. This is the mana base that I would have wanted to run in my 60 card deck, but it's too many lands for my 60 card deck. So yep, just another, another reason the AT is probably the better version. Okay, so I, you identified reading this list that there are some things about it that seem a little bit weird. And I think the things about it that feel weird are basically all related to Yorian. <laughs> of course. Let's talk about that Asika's Chariot. One of the things that makes this deck so strong with the Yorian is that you have a lot of pretty busted curves, especially on the play. And so you can do things in this deck, like you can do like a, you know, turn two interaction spell, or maybe a turn two tome, or a... a omen yeah an omen of the sea yeah and then you can go into buying back your sky noodle on turn three and then you can play one of the deck's powerful four drops in the form of either an asika's chariot or a binding the old gods on four and then on five you can play your yorian and blink them now, this is not necessarily the target curve of the deck, because the deck's not really trying to kill you with any of those cards. The deck is trying to resolve an ultimatum and win the game on the spot. But what what having these powerful fours allows you to do is actually curve into the Yorian in, in the right spots. And that can be like, imagine, okay, let's say, imagine you're just like a gruel deck and your opponent on turn two, they kill your thing. They take turn three off, so that's kind of a little window for you. But then on turn four, they kill another one of your your best thing with Binding the Old Gods. And then on turn five, they kill your next best thing with Binding the Old Gods. And now they have a Yorian in play as well. And they ramped. Yeah, and they've ramped twice. Like, they, they will end up ramping twice in that scenario. And that's just a perfect, like, the turn after that for them to slam an ultimatum. And, like, you you've had to have had a pretty good game to get out of that at that point. Yeah, that reasonably consistent draw really only requires that you have the land to play the cards, that you have one of the four drops, and that you have something to do on turn two. So it's a very reasonable draw to get a lot. And it is not the most powerful draw in the format, but it's consistently better than the average draw that a deck can produce. And you just have it so much more often. That, that's that been what I found with the Yori and Binding the Old Gods combo, that you just... You just beat the average draw most of the time if you're on the play, and you just do that. Yeah. I am convinced that the reason the Seeker's Chariot has made it into these lists is that if this were a 60-card deck, you'd just run your four bindings and leave it at that. But with an 80-card deck, you want a couple more four drops to just give you like that nice curve. And here's the thing about a Seeker's Chariot, man. This card is no joke. I've played multiple lists that run the chariot, and if your opponent can't answer it pretty quickly, and if you're in a position to attack, you take over the game very quickly with this card. Especially against, you know, decks like uh, Is It Tempo, for example, where if they can't answer this card, it's going to win the race against them. It's going to be so hard for them to deal with. Once this thing hits the battlefield, it makes three permanents. What are they going to do? Are they going to bounce it? It's it's not really going to get them ahead. If they try to kill your cats, that's not really going to get them ahead either. Asika's Chariot is it's good on attacks, it's good on blocks. And here's the cool thing is that no, it's you're not trying to win the game with this at all. If you if if you need it to help you push through some damage, it's there. If you need it to give you additional blockers, it's there. You can crew it with Yorian. That's kind of sick. You can also do things like if you get into certain spots. Imagine CGB if you did something like 
You play a chariot in the mid game, and then you ramp into Kiora Best the Sea God. And then the turn after you, the Best the Sea God comes down, you you play Yorian, you blink Kiora Best the Sea God, you crew your Asika's chariot, and you make a copy of your Kraken. So now you've essentially made three Krakens. No, that should be your fourth, right? You can do that the turn you play Kiora Best the Sea God, right? Because you no, can you're crew right. the you're chariot right. with the Kraken. I think that that's. I think that's the easiest thing to forget when imagining play patterns with the chariot, that this is a free effect. As long as you have some bodies to crew it, you don't have to spend mana to get that token. So you can spend your mana on that Shark Typhoon, you can spend your mana on that Cure Best the Sea God, or you can spend that mana on a removal spell, take out the opponent's stuff, then crew the chariot with the cats it brought anyway, and just get another 2-2. But it's free every turn. Yeah. Absolutely. None of these things are particularly what the deck was designed to do, but these are all things that you just incidentally can do that are incredibly powerful with a deck like this. And what is the deck designed to do since we allude to it? To let people know, I mean, these are the this is the cuteness. Tell us about that A game and why it's so good. Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll let you take it, CGB, because I've been talking a lot. Okay, okay. You, you can tell me where I'm wrong then. So... I, I'm going to go back a little bit, but I have played with Emergent Ultimatum since it was spoiled. And in the spoiler review, when we were reading the cards, I remember saying that this card is just like tooth and nail, kind of. You get two big awesome things, but those things have to exist. At the time, there was Agent of Treachery. Uh, maybe Kiora Best the Sea God? It was kind of hard to find more things because it has a very specific ask. They have to be monocolored. You want them to be huge. You want them to be game-breaking. And you want to put them in a deck that casts seven drops. So it's got it's an interesting card. Also back then, Teferi was a thing. Three mana Teferi shut this card down. You couldn't cast the spells after you fetch them. They just died. It was sad. Uh, so watch out for that. Redain has kind of this effect. So watch out for that card right now in Standard. Because uh, if you don't have the mana, you can't cast the spells off the ultimatum, even if you pay the extra for the ultimatum. But anyway, uh, so after after Teferi rotated, the next step for ultimatum was that it just didn't have the targets. It, it just didn't have the good stuff to fetch. And I had combos. I played an ultimatum deck that I said was better than people thought, and I still maintain that. But our anti-creature package was to grab like a Kogla and a Thorn Mammoth. You could take control of a lot of battlefields, but you couldn't take control of the game, I think is what was com what was missing here. And now we, we got the tools to take control of the game, because now when you cast Emergent Ultimatum, if you're incredibly behind on the board, you can get an Extinction Event and a Shadow's Verdict, so one of those things will happen if that's what you need to do. But you can also get uh, just a, a variety of cards that just absolutely clock the opponent. And I think that the biggest one, the biggest headache is Allrun's Epiphany. Because the idea of you spent seven mana on your turn, your whole turn was tied up in this spell, but now you're going to get another turn and you get a big spell? That is terrifying. If you have any cards in your hand at all, the opponent is terrified of this. Absolutely terrified. So I've noticed that Allrun's Epiphany gets picked more and more and so what if they do? What are you supposed to do with a hand that is, or um, an ultimatum split that is All Runs Epiphany, Vorinclex, and Valky? That's the other part. Those are three brand new cards from this set. 
if they get rid of the epiphany, which people really, really badly want to do, they were scarred by nexus of fate, they never want to go back, they give you a a Vorinclex, which, you know, 6-6, he's trample is not bad. But they also give you Tybalt, and Tybalt comes in with double loyalty, which means Tybalt can ultimate right now, which means that you basically, the person who casts the ultimatum, draws both graveyards into their hand. That's not their hand, so you can't mess with it. That they can play for the rest of the game whenever they want. If you have played any kind of a fair, close to fair-ish game of Magic up to that point with resources going here and there, that is devastating. And there's still a Tybalt on the battlefield, and a 6-6, by the way. It's just, it takes over the game on the spot. It's so hard to come back. And that's without talking about other combinations like Seagate Restoration, Kiora Best the Sea God, a variety of other things that you can do. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point, CGB, is that the toolboxy nature of Emergent Ultimatum means that you can just really tailor what you get to your game plan. So like you were saying, if you're on the back foot, if you're losing to creatures, then you have these options. You can, yeah, you can get your sweepers. Kiorabas the Sea God is a surprisingly good blocker. That thing can trade with most stuff, even with an Embercleave on it, right? So it's, I've done it, man. I've I've made no, a- I, I- I love the idea. I love the concept that an 8-8 hexproof <laughs> is a surprisingly decent blocker. But you are right. People don't think about it when they're looking at the card. It's a decent blocker, man. I've done a lot of blocking with it. Or just a lot of dissuading your opponents from attacking, as it were. You know, so so you have those nice defensive games. Also, Valky can just exile a creature and an artifact, right? So said Embercleave or a Henge or any other artifact. I've, I've actually done a fair amount of in control matchups. I've done a fair amount of killing people with their own Turgrid's lanterns. That's another yeah. thing that Valky hits. <laughs> That's a, it's fun to turn your opponent's lantern against them. So Valky, you know, if you're grabbing cards like Extinction Event, Valky, Kiara, Best the Sea God, etc., they can all just do a really good job of keeping you alive. Another thing I really like is that those two birds from Alrin's Epiphany block those dragons so they block gold spend dragons if you need that to happen so you have these really good defensive plays and then you also have these really really good offensive plays where you can grab you know Alrin's epiphany and then also you can get Vorinclex and Kiorabes the sea god and now if your opponent lets you have those two then basically what will happen is that with Vorinclex down when you play Kiorabes the sea god it trips immediately to chapter two it taps your opponent's team down your Vorinclex can swing in immediately, and then your opponent's probably dead on the next turn. Oh, it's 20, right? Vorinclex for six, and then the Kraken and the Vorinclex the next turn is lethal. Exactly, exactly. And there's a lot of nice stuff, like, for example, if your opponent lets you get Alrin's Epiphany and Kiorabes the Sea God, you're basically immediately clocking them for 10. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they won't good. be able to counterattack. So yeah, so the game closes, I mean, the deck closes the door very, very, very quickly. And so that's one of the things that I like about it is that it plays offense well and it plays defense well. But of course, you expect to be doing winning if you're resolving your ultimatums. So let's talk about that a little bit more. One of the things I like a lot about the Sultai color combination is that you just have access to a lot of cool stuff in the sideboard. So let's look at what's going on here. This sideboard in this particular deck has a cling to dust. It has two duress. And eliminate. It has two copies of a card I would rather it didn't have. <laughs> Coma the Cosmos Serpent. 
It also has uh, two mystical disputes, three negates, another shadow's verdict, two Tosky bearers of secrets, and of course the Yorian as the companion. One of the things I want to note here is that we thought this before, and I still really think that Tosky is kind of a meme. <laughs> really? I had a fun time with Tosky this Did week. Did you? <laughs> Dude, people, people just... Indestructible is very underrated right now, uh, man. Because if people aren't playing white, they just can't do much about it. I was watching um, Da Ninja's stream the other night. Cool streamer, Da Ninja. And um, he was trying out the Sultai deck, and he was like, hmm, these Toskies, okay, I guess I'll bring one of these in in this control matchup. And his opponent, they just cycled a 3-3 shark, and it just sat there the whole game blocking Toski. And <laughs> while well, he was getting beaten down by Yorian. And it was it was so laughable, dude. It was so embarrassing. But anyway. Should have played a coma, too. Like, they're there as a tag team. Neither can be killed. Both can gain indestructible. No, neither can be countered, is what I meant to say. <gasps> yep. That's a good point. So maybe that's what you're supposed to do, right? Is get both of them down, the wombo combo. Oh, dude. Serpent and squirrel. It's a saga waiting to happen. <laughs> I am so not a buyer of either of those cards in this archetype, but that's just me. Those two cards to me are like they're 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 what's left of the soul of this deck before <laughs> like before it completely sells out and they create like the perfect MPL pro list that everybody net decks. They're to me like the last two saying we were an awesome meme once, you know, we were a weird rogue gamer once. And as soon as you cut those, there's just nothing left, in my opinion. That's true. Yep. It's just lean, mean, skull-crushing machine moving forward from there. Some people are excited for that. I like to hang on to the good old days. They're like the Muppets of the deck, you know? It's, it's the deck with the Muppets remaining. So I think that this list is a really, really good take on the archetype. Now, um, some people have made some more controlling versions. So let's look at Sultai Control by Lucas Twist. This is, I, I'm pretty sure that this is a lot closer to that deck we were talking about last week, which is more like, it's almost more like a Demir control list running ramp yes. and finishes, right? Yep, this is this is close to what I've played the most, yeah. Right, so, so take us through what's different about this deck, CGB. Okay, it has several cards in common, so I'm going to cover those quickly. It has four Valky. It actually plays three main deck Yorian. It has Yorian as a companion. It has four Extinction Events. It has two Eliminates and four Heartless Act. It also has four Binding the Old Gods and four Elspeth's Nightmare and four Omen of the Sea. And there's 35 Amazing Sultai Lands. Uh, a couple, there's um, two extra pathways here that can be red, but could also be another color, Blight's. Lightstep Pathway, Crag Crown Pathway for Valky. But uh, the difference is, there's two Ugin the Spirit Dragon, and there's no Emergent Ultimatum. So this deck is interested in a different kind of top end. So two Ugins and two Comas, the Cosmos Serpent, which, you know, we, we've, we've spent some words on Coma. I'm still much more into it than I think you will ever be. Then we have four Lanoar Visionary, and it's there in place of Cultivate, I'm gonna be honest. I don't like it. Mm, uh, I've found cultivate. I. I've found cultivate so much more reliable. Yeah. But if it, but you also can just not play cultivate, which is what I've done in most of the Demir control builds. I just find my visionary never lives, and it never blink. It never gets blinked by Yorian. That's that's a myth. It never happens. There are two cling to dust in the main, which I like for both 
the popular Rakdos decks going on and for rogues. I, I find Cling to Dust very important in the control version because you don't move fast enough to get ahead of rogues. Like in the ramp version, when they go for their into the story turn, they might not also be able to hold up a counter spell, which might give you an ultimatum, which says you can have four random cards. I'm just going to win now. And that's good. Um, but in this deck, since you can't really out-ramp and outscale them, uh, Cling to Dust is very important. And there's also four copies of Negate. There's four Negates in this deck. And I think the card that changed everything for Negate, besides the mirror with uh, Saltai ultimatums, but I, I think that Negate became a big deal with Showdown of the Showdown, Stones. that's what I was going to yep. say, yep. Yep, and I just don't think you can afford to spend like three mana counters on that or foretell a saw it coming and line it up for later you've just got to be able to counter that thing while also progressing your board or doing what you need to do in the meantime so uh, that anyway is that did that cover that yeah cover yeah stuff i think deck? i think that did a, a reasonably good job of of covering this and i'm not as hot on this list although admittedly i have not played with it but just looking down it, I'm a little bit less excited about what's going on with this list uh, compared to the other list that we were looking at, mostly because I feel like this list struggles with a lot of the things that the other list struggles with as well, but I feel like the list doesn't have the explosive power that the other one has, so I feel like it's... I feel like this deck is basically just taking a longer, slower, and less explosive approach to doing a similar thing. So perfect for me in that way. <laughs> yeah. I love it. If, that's that's me all over. If you want <laughs> if you want the game to just go on endlessly, if you want your opponent to concede out of frustration, this is definitely the list to play. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I also didn't mention there is Pelucranos Unchained. That that's a card I missed. Yeah, Pelucranos is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little more rogue hate to go with the clings. I didn't like it. I don't like Pelucranos as your only escape card yeah because i find it's too expensive to make a difference but in combination with cling like the card is pretty pretty good and i like it it's it's a good card in two of the main matchups you're worried about right which is rogues and gruel actually i i thought you were gonna say is it tempo they have a hard time killing this thing ah, that's true that's a good point yeah but but go on sorry yeah it's good against them too and it's also like, how good do you feel about having to counter a Pelucanos? Not that good, right? Uh, it's just going to come back later. Yeah. But yeah, one thing I do like about this list is it is running Ugin. And in my ramp ultimatum lists, I've made sure to run at least one Ugin, which is not standard. Honestly, if you're ramping, I just don't see why you wouldn't have at least one copy of the Spirit Dragon in your deck. It's just a really good top deck. In So in my version of the list, I've also been running Burning Rune Demon. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I like about Burning Rune Demon is that you can... So you can't fetch up Ugin with your ultimatum, but you can make it one of the two cards that you get with your Burning Rune Demon. And I'll tell you what, when someone resolves a Burning Rune Demon and your two options are Ugin and another Emergent Ultimatum, you just... <laughs> <laughs> what are you supposed to do, man? Oh, What are you supposed wow. to do? Especially if you gave them a um, Vorinclex. Yeah, or, yeah, or an Alrin's Epiphany, right? Because, oh no! So, th- so this is this is a this is one of my favorite squeezes. Is you do Alrin's Epiphany, Burning Rune Demon, and and something else, right? Something else they don't want you to resolve. And either way, it's like if you get another turn, well, you get another turn which they don't want with your other powerful thing that you got. 
Or if they let you get the Burning Rune Demon, then you just, yeah, you get to search up all of these other haymakers. I've had a lot of people where they let the ultimatum resolve, but then when they see the choice that I give them with the Burning Rune Demon, that's when the scoop happens. Oh, oh, of course. <laughs> so, so yeah, man, you can, you can just get up to some nonsensey stuff. Any, any other thoughts on this deck? This, this isn't what I would be sleeving up in the Saltai color combination, but I'm just curious if you have any other. This, this definitely does seem like a bit more of a CGB style of deck. Oh, yeah. My favorite best of one deck right now is very close to this, but if we took out the Polucranos, if we took out the Visionaries and turned them into Maze Mind Tomes, and we took out the Polucranos and turned it into Lockmere Serpent, then yeah. you've got my deck. And the reason we have the Lockmere Serpent is, of course, for the content, because then you have Serpent Tribal, because remember, Yorian is a serpent, a bird serpent. Lockmere Serpent is a serpent. And we get the beautiful curve of binding the old gods. Yorian, Lockmere Serpent flashing on Encep into coma. <laughs> serpent Tribal there Domination. And if we want, we can play Ugin the next turn because we live in a beautiful land called Magical Christmas Land. And there, these things are possible. So I play this deck. I, I love protecting your 6-6 six, six by sacking your 7-7. Seven, seven. That That is a flex if ever I've seen. No, 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 no. You <laughs> sacrifice it to protect the 6-6, six, six, but then you exile five cards from their graveyard and you get back the seven seven. Oh baby we and then you can good. flash it in to protect your coma at instant speed oh there's nothing better than when somebody actually thinks they figured out how to get your coma you know yeah they 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 they, they put it together they mapped it out and somehow they're going to kill your coma and you just flash in a lock mirror serpent because they got rid of all the tentacle tokens somehow and you just flash that lock mirror and sacrifice it get it back that's my burning rune nonsense <laughs> This is a particular kind of sadism that Kovac Goblu enjoys. Mm. Serpent sadism. If you can believe it, there are just so many other builds of, of Sultai, and um, those are only two such examples. There are many, many other random things that you can do, and I think that we owe it to our readers to keep moving along here. Can I ask you a question, though? I, I want to ask you, because you are still on the Burning Rune Demon. This is not something we've seen picked up most places. Do you think that they've missed it? Or what do you think the, the logic is behind not using Burning Rune Demon? Boy, I think the choice about what you choose to run as your ramp, as, as your ultimatum targets is like everyone's a little bit different on what they prefer. I think probably some people think it's too slow or not high enough impact. So part of it could be that I've been running a version of the deck which is a bit slower and more controlling, and I've been focusing on card advantage, whereas I think a lot of these ramp decks are focusing on ending the game. That's mostly just because of the meta that I've been expecting to see, really. I built my deck around matchups that I expected to see. So for example, you'll see some people have actually been avoiding Vorinclex. I myself have not been running Vorinclex because I've just found it to be lower impact than some of the other cards that you can search up. For example, one of the things I don't like is that if your opponent gives you an Alrin's Epiphany and a Vorinclex and they kill your Vorinclex before your next turn, then you basically just got a take an extra turn. You basically just got an epiphany out of the deal, and I think that that's pretty weak. I just think that that's not a strong thing to do. I agree, but I think the biggest lesson is never to grab the Vorinclex when they have mana open for a Heartless Act. 
or, you know, the thing you fear. Yeah, I think that's true. I think for me, it just highlights the weaknesses of Vorinclex. Another thing I don't like about Vorinclex is that it's just a terrible top deck. So that's an issue that Burning Rune doesn't have. It's a little off theme top deck, I think is what you mean to say. Yeah. Calling it a terrible top deck, I have trouble uh, sitting over here and abiding. <laughs> Listen, when when you have done precisely zero damage to your opponent over the course of the game because you've been faffing about and ramping and answering your opponent's stuff, and then you top deck a 6-6 a six, six haster in the late game, it's not quite what you're hoping to see, right? So that's the thing. I think some of these lists to me look, and I mean, again, these people are like winning SCGs and stuff, so I'm not claiming that I have the answers here. But when I look at these lists, some of them, they just like some of the cards that they're playing don't seem maxim. Like Toski is a perfect example where it can be good, but in the wrong situation, it's a terrible card. And I've tried to avoid running cards like that in my deck because I feel like if you resolve your ultimatum, you're almost certainly going to win the game anyway. I just don't, I don't see why I'm trying to ultimate my Tybalt immediately. You know what I mean? I Like, even that might not be a game-winning play. I have opted to include cards like, um, I think Kiara Best the Sea God. It's just a freaking good card, man. A hundred percent of the time that that card hits the battlefield, it's going to be an oh crap moment for your opponent. So I've, I've aimed to put as many of those kind of kind of cards in my deck as possible and try to avoid cards which I feel like are really situational like Vorinclex. I hear you. I get it. But I mean, I could be wrong. Like I said, I'm not winning SCGs. Yeah, it could also just be a ladder versus a tournament thing. You know what I mean? To be clear, you're also not playing SCGs. What if you... Were what if I was playing SCGs? What is, <laughs> in the alternate reality where Arjuna has the time oh for such endeavors. Who knows how many trophies would be on, on that shelf? Well, I'll tell you what, man. They'd all be on the back of my friend, Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was going to say me. It's kind of sad right now. <laughs> go on, go you're, on. You're my second. You're my second in command, CGB. All right, so uh, so we, we went deep on that. I hope that that was valuable to y'all. I really, really love these ultimatum decks so if if you have more questions about them or you want to discuss them i'll discuss them endlessly with you you know in the discord or twitter anything like that i think if our viewers i know that you're kind of trying to transition somewhere but i think that there are viewers who love this deck and have enjoyed this a lot and i think that there are viewers i say viewers i'm used to it listeners i think that there are listeners who have heard this whole thing for about you know 30 some minutes and what they want to know is how do we beat it how do we beat it? Yeah, that's a good question. Okay, so let's get into the things that I lose to a lot playing the deck. Just a good old-fashioned aggro curve can always win against a deck like this. You know, it's so frustrating, CGB. You build your deck with, you know, like 8 to 10 main deck aggro answers, and then you have another like 4 to 6 in your sideboard. And in game two, you bought in all of your stuff and you're, you're pushing like 20 aggro answers. You don't draw any of them in your opening hand and you die horribly. So that happens to me all the time playing this deck. Rogues is another matchup which can be like that, where I'm like, I brought in all of my sideboard tech and rogues, you know, the top three cards they mill are three removal spells, right? <laughs> and then, And then meanwhile, all of my escape cards are in the bottom half of the deck. So stuff like that can just get you. Um, so any deck that has a fast opening and can either come out really strong or have an iron grasp over the game like rogues can, 
can be really difficult for this deck, for sure. I would suggest that while the the Yorian into cool four drop is a pretty is a very consistent thing that the deck can do. It's the only thing it does consistently, in yep. in my opinion. Yeah. And because of that, if you have an aggro deck, if you can disrupt that or just get under it, that's a big deal. So binding the old gods is often an important fixture of that curve. And I found I've had a ton of success with Gem Razor and Stone Coil Serpent. Like like that duo just sliced and diced some Saltai for me today while I was recording a mono green video. It was really good. Ooh, the Serpent. I didn't think about that. The Serpent is good against this deck. Protection from multicolor. Yep. Heartless Act. Can't do that. Uh, once you have a Gem Razor on it, can't eliminate it. Yep. Pretty pretty nasty. Yep, it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I would throw out there um, would be Indestructible. Seasoned Hollow Blade with a it is a pretty nasty card to deal with. Oh, man. And I'll tell you what. Like, if you're running Mono White... With this, with these lists in the meta, you should definitely be sideboarding Redain because oh yeah, because if get you em. can just get that Redain down on turn three before your opponent has a chance to resolve Extinction Event, uh, Shadows Verdict, yeah, the Binding, any of those things, then it means that they ha they exactly have to have like their Eliminates or their Heartless Acts, and if they don't, and even if they do, you might just throw them off that curve. Right? Oh yeah, because the curve they want and their consistent curve is to either cultivate or buy Yorian on three, right? So even if they have a great answer to Redain, like an Elspeth's Nightmare, they still spend their turn on that and they take a beating from your one drop and your two drop for another turn where they much rather get their Binding of the Old Gods on the battlefield. Exactly, and what's the thing that every aggro deck just wants in the game is just one more turn to kill your opponent. A time walk. Just give me a time walk. Yeah, just just give me a free time walk, which is basically what Redain is, and it's a threat. So yeah, I th I definitely think exactly like an ag aggro decks with disruption is is just really fantastic against a deck like this. How about that disruption? Because one one thing when I started playing this deck originally, my Yorian decks, and we talked about it on the podcast, was we were getting farmed by the Is It Tempo Dragon deck. Yeah. How has that matchup evolved? Is it is it still bad? Or do you, how do you handle that one? Well, so it's interesting because, like I said before, I originally teched my deck to be a little bit better in matchups like that. So I'm running more counter spells than a lot of these decks are running. Like, for example, I've been running Saw It Coming in my main deck. It's been, you know, it's been okay. I don't know if it's really what the deck wants, but I've certainly been trying it out. It's been pretty good. Um, I also run for Shark Typhoons, partially as a result, because they're pretty good against those decks. It forces your opponent to have a Brazen Borrower. And even if they do, you're still up a card, basically. I have found that matchup to honestly be pretty 50-50. Okay. It's fairly draw dependent but but here's the thing i feel like that deck i feel like is it tempo is just a very draw dependent deck there are games when i've just crushed it laughably and then there are games when i felt like there was no turn of the game when i was in it oh yeah did they do the dragon thing on time yeah, yeah exactly but very beatable matchup and honestly i mean if you have you know enough removals removal and counter spells which the both things that you have in the sideboard of this deck, if you draw enough of those, that deck can have a very hard time closing. So for me, uh, you know, I, honestly, it's the way that you win a lot of control matchups, which is um, as much card advantage as you can get. I, you know, I bring in the fourth tome or whatever from the sideboard, shock typhoons, counter spells, and the right removal spells, and then you just freaking hope to draw those cards, honestly. 
All right, cool. Well, um, it's going to evolve. These lists are going to evolve. I have a feeling that none of this stuff is the way it's eventually going to look after this format is resolved. But speaking of the format, let's just go into what we're looking at here now is the standard Kalheim week two win matrix. I'm looking at this from MTG data on Twitter. And this just gives you kind of an overview of the standard format and the archetypes that are performing well and how well they're performing and some of their win percentages. When you're looking at this, what stands out to you? What are, what are some of the data points which feel interesting to you when you're looking at this? Well, bleeding over from our last conversation and why we spent so much time on Saltai Ultimatum, it is at the highest win rate against the metagame on the sheet at 56.4%. And what stands out to me is that the second place deck is at 56.3%, right there, like within the margin of confidence to actually be the best deck. And that's Rakdos Midrange. And what's interesting to me about Rakdos Midrange sitting in that seat is that is exactly the deck I want to farm when I play Sultai Ultimatum. Like, like, like that is the ultimate... That is the deck. I think more than anything, Rakdos Midrange would be a main, a big format player. And it is in, in its way. It definitely is with that win rate. But like Yorian is one of the only things that just keeps that thing firmly in check. That is such a hard matchup for Rakdos. Which we can tell if we actually look on the matrix over, it has a 32.7% win rate against the Saltai Ultimatum. So that's really borne out. Yeah, nasty. And its other 30%er is Teamer Ultimatum, which is also on the list. Uh, so uh, something about these seven mana break the game Ultimatum cards just totally break uh, break poor Rakdos. They, they can maintain the game so well until that happens. Yeah, so Rakdos continuing to do well in the matchups you would expect it to. It has a, an astonishing 76.7% win rate against Rogues. God's work. Right <laughs> I know. There. I was that, gonna say, oh my gosh. Thank Bless God you. for that deck, right? Bless you. Keep him honest, man. Uh, also seems to be doing very well against Is It Tempo, which I don't know. Does that seem obvious to you, CGB? That doesn't seem obvious to me. Not really. Uh, I would guess the hand disruption breaks up the combo because the combo for that deck is two counter spells and a dragon. Like, usually most people can't beat that. And I would guess that there's enough hand disruption to just keep that from happening. That 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 would be my prediction. Yep, that would make sense. I just wanted to check in with you. How good do you think is hand disruption in a meta game with Fortel? Because I would have thought that hand disruption has gotten a lot worse now that you can just tuck away your counter spells and your card draw spells into the sideline zone. You can even do things like if you're worried about your opponent taking your Alrin's Epiphany, you can tuck that away too. Do you think that that's changed the calculus? I'm going to answer your question with a question, and I think it's a good one. Okay. So two weeks in, uh, a little more than that, how good is Fortel? Yeah, that is that is a good question. I have a really hard time of answering that, honestly, because, you know, we've seen decks like the Is It Tempo deck make heavy use of the Fortel cards, and that deck's not actually doing that well. It's a 47.9 percenter here. It came out raging in week one, and here on week two has fallen off quite a bit as people learn how to beat it and how to upgrade other decks. Yeah, It definitely was preying on decks that weren't as efficient, but 
I mean, aggressive decks, I don't think ever had too much problem with it. Yeah. So I think to answer your question, it hasn't been a great showing from Fortel so far. I think that I agree. saw it coming and what is it? Behold the multiverse, stare at space, look at stuff. Those are those are like the basically the only that I can think of anyway. The only cards that are getting consistently foretold in this format. Oh yeah, on this um, on this matchup graph that we're looking at on this win rate snapshot, those foretell cards in is it tempo are in most most cases the only places you're going to see them on this list. So you're right. Yeah, it's a surprising lack of that mechanic showing up in the standard. No doom scars. Yeah, no zero Doom Scars. No major deck is playing Doom Scar. Yeah, I th- I do think though that's less a comment on the power level of Doom Scar and more a comment on the direction of the format though. I think Indestructible is really good. There's infinite value out of cards like Showdown of the Skulls. There's haste over the top from the Dragon. Like what what have you even done blowing up the board on turn uh, taking turn two off and blowing up the board on turn three? It's really hard to take over a game from there. I, I, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it is. So it's just interesting, interesting thing to think about. Now, next on the list, basically right down the middle, 50-50 deck, Demir Rogues, 50.6% win rate. So I, that that interests me, CGB. Do you think that that indicates that Demir Rogues has fallen in potency a little bit? I I mean, you say it's a right down the middle deck. I'm looking at these matchups, and it is quite polarized. I mean, 23% against Rakdos, 38% against Gruul, 42% against Sultai Control. Those are the bad matchups. And what do those have in common? Their cards don't all cost a million. (laughs) (laughs) But as soon as you play against Is It Tempo, where where they have a five-mana dragon to resolve, Naya Adventures, where they have the Great Henge and Showdown of the Skulls to resolve, and you play against, uh, like, Saltite Ultimatum, Teamer Ultimatum. Yeah, has a positive matchup against those decks for sure. Yep. Yep. Also has a positive matchup against Boros Aggro and a very good one, 58%, which surprises me. Wow, that does surprise me. I would hope for better from Boros just being able to be on curve and and bashing into this deck. So it must play the control role pretty well for that matchup. But yeah, I I don't, I think that the 50% overall win rate is a lie. This, this deck has very polarized matchups. So you need to either find ways to get edges where it doesn't have them, at least from this data, or you really need to pick your meta. Well, you know, one thing that stands out to me, if you look at the end of this Demir Rogues list, it has the best win rate against other. Oh, quote unquote. Oh, that's why it's the villain. That's why everybody hates Rogues. Against other, against random brews that don't fit the mold of the top 10 decks, Rogues clowns them and they hate it. It shreds. It shreds. None of the other decks on this list even hit 60. So yeah, if if you just want to rip up random deck dot deck, then Rogues is definitely the place to start. If you want to go and lose all your friends, yeah, <laughs> yeah. When when paper magic is back, if you are the person who shows up with rogues, in fact, we're all just lucky that rogues came out during COVID time, so we could still, in theory, have friends. <laughs> when 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 we're all vaccinated and we go back to the game store, if you're the one with rogues, you're gonna find out that you act. You, you're gonna compromise those relationships really fast. Indeed, indeed, you will indeed be a rogue. 
in your local metagame. Now, um, another deck which people were feeling pretty high on, which doesn't seem to be performing quite how we thought it would, is Naya Adventures. So Naya Adventures with a 51.6% win rate. And you know, CGB, I would say week one, Showdown was looking very promising. But I feel like the weaknesses of that card have really been showing up and getting exploited lately. And I, I think Rogues is actually a great example, right? Because a card like Drown in the Lock is just such a perfect foil to this deck. It kills your threats when it needs to kill your threats, and it counters your showdown when it needs to counter your showdown. I think that, you know, one of the issues that Nia Adventure, I think, is running into is that there's a surprising amount of counter magic in the format. And I think it just makes a card like Showdown a lot worse. Another thing I've been thinking about a lot is that think about the turn four plays that, you know, a lot of these decks have had in the past. They've had Embercleave as a really strong turn four play, which basically wins on the spot. And they have had the Henge, which, you know, it doesn't necessarily win on the spot, but also, Henge isn't going anywhere. Unlike the Showdown, Showdown disappears after a little while. Henge stays for the rest of the game. It also might actually let you resolve more things that turn, so you might actually be able to keep your threats up. And the problem with the Showdown is that you you really basically take a turn off to cast it. Yep, yep. Uh, four mana, Sorcery Speed, doesn't affect the board. And that is something that can be exploited. Now, it can be powerful, and it can still define a format under the right circumstances. Wilderness Reclamation is a card that sounds like that until you realize it's not, because you get that mana back, and you get to keep interacting. You know, it's actually a free spell. Uh, but Showdown is not. When you tap out and play a Showdown, if your opponent can exploit that turn in a very grand way... You might just find yourself too far behind and unable to come back. If if you go four mana, play Showdown, and they go, I don't know, two mana, kill one of your creatures, untap, attack with three creatures, Embercleave my big creature, blow up the one good block that you had, you have no board, you have four exiled cards, but you spend your whole turn rebuilding that board, and the opponent untaps with stuff that they had the turn before, and now their mana's open. If they can push it through... Like I have seen so many people resolve showdown and lose within two turns because they just got out they got outclassed on the battlefield. You know what's interesting to me? I'm looking down this list. So Naya Adventures has a positive win rate against let's see. It has a positive win rate against Rakdos and against Is It Tempo. My my theory until I saw Is It Tempo was that all of the decks running counter spells have been beating this deck because it has a negative win rate against Rogues, Sultai Control, Sultai Ultimatum, but it also has a negative win rate against Boros Aggro, which makes me wonder whether like just playing a solid aggro list can get under it. What do you make from that? I, I think it's kind of weird, to be honest. I think it's weird that you would have a deck that would have a 58% win rate versus Gruul, but then have a 41% win rate versus Boros Aggro. That, that's a head-scratcher for me. Okay, what are the removal spells for Naya Adventures? In a good world, they're going to run Giant Killer and they're going to run Bone Crusher Giant, and maybe they have some sideboarded, uh, you know, cheap red stuff that does the thing, right? Um, or I've seen some with even like an Elspeth Conquers Death in their sideboard, you know. Uh, for the most part, like Giant Killer and Bone Crusher Giant, those that's a pretty narrow removal suite. We talked about Indestructible. 
Like, the, the Boros Aggro does not care. <laughs> Season Hollow Blade does not care about those cards. Not even a little bit. You know what I mean? So, uh, Maul of the Skyclaves, they'll, they'll throw that on anything. <laughs> and the the removal the removal's not reliable. I, I actually, I also think that while counter spells can be lined up for showdown, I think that a good Nye adventure player is going to tax the opponent using Edgewall Innkeepers and adventure cards, much the way that Teamer Adventures did to resolve what it needed to resolve. So I don't think counter spells are the end of the line for that, but I think just more universal, more flexible removal that gets the job done. Uh, Extinction Event in particular is a brutal one. I think that's a big problem, and I think hard-to-kill threats are a big problem. Because, I, like I've said, I've seen this deck cast their showdown, but get behind on the board and just get temp- just just lose, because Embercleave happened. I've had a lot of games versus Naya Adventures in the Saltai deck, where the game would be... I'd do something like, I'd cast some removal spells, I would play my Extinction event, they would play Showdown, and I would play Ultimatum. Mm. It was kind of like... Yeah, sweet card advantage, bro. Let's let's look at my card advantage. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's kind of absurd, but yes, you can go over the top, and that was a problem for the adventure deck with Escape to the Wilds, right? Yeah. That deck didn't really rise to prominence, like to ultimate prominence, until the ways to go over the top were taken away or incorporated into Adventures itself. Yeah. Yep, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. It's just not showdown is not the most over the top card in the format by by a mile. So, yep, um, an interesting deck though, and you know, it just seems seems to be holding up solidly overall. So definitely want to keep an eye on. Um, I still think that that we have not seen the last of these showdown decks. Yeah, do you think we found the best showdown deck? That's a good question. I don't. No, I don't. Okay. I think the card has a lot of future, honestly. I don't know, man. I I want like showdown party to be a thing. Am I am I so weird? Am I so weird? I'm gonna forget you said that. <laughs> Boros party was one of my unrequited loves of uh, of Zendikar Standard. Unrequited is perfect. So let's just touch briefly on Gruel Aggro here. So Gruel running a very respectable fifty two point four percent win rate in the meta game. You know what else is interesting is that it's it has the second highest percentage versus other 57.4% behind rogues, which again, it just goes to show like if you want to win on the ladder, just jam one of those decks and it's good against everything. It's just pretty I, good. I, sorry to correct you, but it is a 59.6% for Saltai Ultimatum. So it's number three. Oh, you're yep. right. Okay. I would say those are the big three, you know, mm-hmm. rule, rogues, like those are the fun police without any new cards they can dominate. Although Gruel has gained the dragon, which is really good. Dragon's good. But Saltai, Saltai Ultimatum wasn't there until the new card showed up. That is currently probably the biggest representative of Kaldheim. It's uh, it's a strong deck, y'all. It's just a strong deck. There's no other way to put it. So talking about Saltai Ultimatum, let's just look at some of its matchups here. So it has a 67% win rate against Rakdos, which is just slamming the door, basically. Um, it's getting absolutely farmed by Is It Tempo, which is interesting. I, you know, I have viewed that as more of a 50-50 matchup. Perhaps it's just because I'm playing on the ladder and some people don't play as well. Maybe. I, I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, like interesting. That, that is what I predicted would be the, the hardest thing is a clock with counterspell mana available. 
Maybe maybe I've been running hot against it, but yeah, I've I, maybe I should go back and look at my untapped uh, scores. But I felt like my win rate was closer to fifty percent against it. So that's that's a pretty awful matchup. I mean, when you put it like that, man, that's that's tough. Maybe it's probably just because you give them too much time. Would be my guess. Yeah. Also, not doing great against rogues, mostly because all your spells are expensive, so that doesn't surprise me at all. Same reasoning, counters plus clock, very difficult. Yep, exactly. But yeah, it's been uh, 58.8 against Naya Adventures, so yeah, just confirming my belief that you are pretty favored in that matchup. Uh, 46.2% versus Gruel Aggro, so again, like decks that come out fast and swing in have a good matchup against Sultai. Ember Cleave. Yep. Embercleave's tough, man. Embercleave's tough. And what might be the highest win rate on this entire matrix, 81.3% win rate versus Sultai Control. Yeah, it's not it's not fair when one deck has a ton of like six and seven drops and an ultimatum to go fetch them, and the other deck is got maybe two Ugans and two Comas. Yeah, nice top end, bro. <laughs> yeah, four negates trying to keep that in check. Yeah, not great. Also has a strong win rate against Boros aggro, so get out of here, basic aggro deck. Uh, 66% against them, and then 53.8% against Teema Ultimatum. Let's talk about Teema Ultimatum. This is a deck that I saw a lot in week one, and I've seen a lot less of it in week two, probably because it's, um, well, it just doesn't do that well against a lot of these good decks. So it's got a 49.5% win rate, so negative win rate here. And uh, I don't know, CGB, anything stand out to you about the numbers here? The numbers? Let me let me start with a question. What would you rather have? Five random cards off the top of your library that, if they are permanents, can go directly onto the battlefield? Or two out of three cards of your choice directly out of your library that can go directly to the battlefield? Yeah, probably probably take the latter. Yep. So that that's just the product of the 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 Sultai ultimatum, um, emergent ultimatum, was kind of the it, it it can be the better card. It probably should be the better card as long as the hits are good. Yeah. As long as they're knockout punches, that should be the better card. It just took this long to get those hits. I actually had a, a fairly hard time with my Sultai deck playing against this Teemo deck uh, in the earlier stages of the meta game. One of the challenges I had was that some of these ultimatum decks weren't actually playing that many hits, like that many permanent hits off of the ultimatum. And it was an interesting, it was an interesting use of the card that I wasn't familiar with before. I'm used to people playing like Beanstalk Giants and Ugins, obviously, all kinds of things, you know, with the goal being that you really want to just dump all of those cards onto the battlefield if you can. Uh-huh. What this deck was able to do sometimes with the ultimatums was surprisingly effective against the slow deck, which was that they would dump one to two threats and then they just draw three cards. Yep. So, you know, like resolve an Ugin for free draw four, not a bad yeah. card in like a control matchup, right? So these team are ultimatum decks for people who haven't kept up on it. These are not um, Obosh, Adventure Cards, Terror of the Peaks. These are... Usually their hits are like four Ugins, four Shark Typhoons, but there's ramp spells like Cultivate and Migration Path, and then there's kind of control cards like Fire Prophecy, Jawari Disruption, um, 
counter spells like mystical dispute negate um into the royal as a card that they use pretty often but it's very spell heavy and a lot of the ultimatum can be draw several cards but they're just trying to get that one shark typhoon or that one ugin and then ride it to victory and as the win percentage will show it it was proving to be you know decently success successful against my ultimatum deck slightly negative win rate here but 46.2 percent so not not getting farmed by any means what do you think of the 56 percent against is it tempo the terrible matchup for the sultai ultimatum deck is a good matchup for teamer i'm guessing that you know the shark typhoons are probably part of it i wonder Both decks have that yeah, and also these all these uh, Tima decks have been running the Coma, right? I think some of them have, and they can. Apparently, that's pretty good against these Is It decks. That's that is game over. <laughs> We're done here. This is the question that I have for you: Is it really game over, CGB? Yes, it is. So this is this is what I was envisioning: is that your Is It Tempo deck is like you know plays a Bone Crusher, starts clocking you tries to get that big dragon thing going. You know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. You tap out, you play your ultimatum, you have a coma hit the battlefield, and your opponent just brays and borrows it and then follows up with another dragon. Like, are you really winning that game? You have four shark typhoons. They have to brays and borrow those. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're trying to, like, exhaust their borrowers already. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the window is, like, you get, like, kind of one turn. <laughs> Your window's, like, one turn with Coma before you are in a terrible position that's going to be so hard to come back from, and you can't counter it. And that deck, uh, Is It Dragon, relies on counters to solve most problems. Yeah. Not to mention, if they brazen borrow it, you can play it again if they haven't killed you effectively. See, that's that's one of the issues that I have is I, I guess maybe like if you reach that far into the game, then I feel like your Is It Tempo deck has they've just already lost. Well, that's not necessarily it. Uh, they're, they're a five mana dragon kind of deck. They want to get to a point where they resolve your dragon. You have counter spells in the teamer deck. They also need to be able to attack their dragon like through a shark typhoon, things like that. You have ramp spells in the dragon deck like they they do need the dragon to actually resolve and then they need to use the mana on it to keep it attacking so they can't always just go for dragon on five and feel they rarely can go for dragon on five and feel good about it all you have to have is a Jwari disruption or mystical dispute and their whole game's down if that's what they do uh, it's interesting you know i definitely have I have found this ultimatum deck to be a little bit more potent than I would have thought just from looking at the deck list. So I definitely, I wouldn't write it off just yet. It's losing though. It is losing to every deck that has like white and green creatures. creatures. (laughs) And (laughs) uh, that is the lack of extinction event, in my opinion. Yeah, that's, that's where that, that's where it loses all of its cool points. And honestly, the removal is just not that good either. You know, red removal is oh, it's like... it's not good. It's good in the early game against things that aren't the Blade. But like, as soon as your opponent starts putting counters on stuff or just doing anything a bit more, th- you know, questing beast, stuff like that, man, this deck really struggles against cards like questing beast. So yeah, not not a great, not a great entry into the meta game overall. I don't want to go deep on these, but, you know, rounding it out, we have Sultai Midrange at 49.5%, Boros Aggro at 49.5% as well. So, yeah, neither neither of those decks just seem like they're really worth your time, to be honest. I don't anticipate either of those archetypes particularly going the distance. 
Boros was something I think that was exciting in week one, but is probably the less the less good Scalds deck um, it, compared to Naya, which has so much card advantage and three colors into options. Inkeeper yeah. is just the difference, in my opinion. Yep. And then uh, the Saltai midrange deck is just the smaller Saltai deck. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> By the way, it's also it's a little awkward. It's listed as Saltai Control on the top and mid range on the side, so they don't even know. They're, they don't know what they to do. Don't, with they this. don't really. They don't really know what they're doing. There's just too many Saltai decks. But anyway, okay. So the, so that's basically Kaldheim week two, and we're gonna include a link to this graphic because it is very interesting to look at uh, in the show notes. So take a look at that. But CGB, after all of the stuff that we've talked about and just your experience playing the ladder in the past week, um, are there any other thoughts that you have about, you know, how our crafties can leave home prepared for this standard format? Well, I think if the Saltai Ultimatum deck speaks to you right now, then you should embrace its time in the sun and go play it because right now it's among the top dogs and most powerful things. Traditionally, the Yorian deck is very powerful in the first two to three weeks and then the pros reveal to us how to beat it which there's an mpl weekend at the end of the month where if if we could have a repeat of zendikar post omnath ban when blue white yorian was supposed to be the best deck in the format showed up and won like 25 percent win rate in that mpl weekend and was the most played deck if i remember correctly and i we could have a repeat of that because the pros will figure out how to beat ultimatum very efficiently They'll refine decks like Gruel Aggro. They'll refine decks like Is It Tempo. They'll refine decks like Demir Rogues. They'll refine decks like Nye Adventures. They might refine something that we're not used to, a different style of Rakdos deck that isn't necessarily mid-range. And they'll they'll know how to beat Saltai Ultimatum. And if you if you doubt the power of net decking the pros, like these MPL weekends and it, like exactly what happened, what I'm talking about with Dendikar Championship and that weekend, if you played the blue-white Yorian deck the week before that event, and then you came and tried to play that same blue-white deck a month later, it, you, you, you just, why can't I win? It's impossible. And it's because people like Autumn Burchette just streamlined Gruel and made it an absolute killing machine. And you could never beat it with, with blue-white ever again. Not any combination of cards could beat it because it was that much well-tuned. Uh, these things matter, and net decking well-tuned lists versus net decking early format lists is different, even though if it doesn't look that different. So my advice is if you're sick of Ultimatum and you want something else, don't worry, it's coming. It, it probably won't end the format as the best deck. And I think that's going to wrap it up with this week's podcast. Thank you for indulging me on talking about one of my favorite decks that I've played on Arena. You know, I, I gotta I gotta soak it up while I can, CGB. Dude, we kind of have the same favorite deck in a lot of ways. So this is the like it's it's the Venn diagram of what you and I tolerate and enjoy. We actually hit the middle, you know? So this was a lot of fun this, for us. This is I a think. good time, man. Yeah. Come together right now. Aside from coma, which I guess there's it's just not going to happen. You know, you can you can enjoy the Muppets. That's fine. So you can find this show on YouTube, especially if you want to leave a comment. It's a really great place to do it. Also, to interact with other members of the community. You can also do that via our Discord, which has been popping lately. Stop by the Arena Craft Podcast Discord. Say hello, share a deck list, get some opinions, post memes. 
etc. Kovac Goblu, you can find him on his YouTube channel, just absolutely tearing the YouTube up. You can also find him on his Twitch channel. He's uh, changed his streaming schedule, so go check him out. Kovac Goblu forward slash, no, twitch.tv forward slash Kovac Goblu. Check out what he's got going on there. And uh, yeah, we'll hopefully be seeing a lot more of you in the commentator booth moving forward, CGB. Yeah, thanks. I, I'm really looking forward the, to the F2K Invitational. If any of you stop by, that's awesome. Thanks. And I look forward to seeing what comes out of the meta with so many good players battling it out for prizes. Indeed. Indeed. Well, we will have a lot to look forward to on next week's episode of the Arena Craft podcast. In the meantime, bye for now. See you. I'll catch you next time. Later. Later.